On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about how you get young people engaged in the news, not just to sell newspapers or to sell whatever, but because it's important to know what's going on in the world. There is a woman, there is a website, there is a group that is trying to do this. We're going to talk about it. And then Don Robertson joins us, as he does on Mondays, to chat about the Olympics, to chat about the Olympic women's soccer team and where things go from here. Do we have a women's league and who pays for it? Lots of other stuff coming up as well. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Well, we're talking about Bill Davis and things that have changed in the past and the future. And I'll tell you, there's, there, there is something that concerns me, uh, sort of, it, it ties into that sort of, sort of, well, we'll sort of continue on with that. It's apathy and it's apathy from, well, not just a younger generation, but sometimes a younger generation about what's happening in the world. And we know not everything. It's not apathy towards everything. We know there is, if you look at the news or social media, there's immense passion about some things, immense passion about some things, but the day-to-day goings-on of the world that don't involve yelling or screaming or calling names sometimes seem to get lost. The things that don't end up in capital letters on social media that grab our attention can sometimes get lost or just get covered in the daily din that just envelops us all the time. And at the risk, again, of sounding like an angry old man, because I'm really not, uh, my concern a lot of times is for the news consumption, especially of younger people. And I'm clearly not alone because my next guest has a site that tries to bring news to them in a way they can understand and absorb to keep them engaged. Uh, it's called teachingkidsnews.com. Joyce Grant is from Hamilton. She joins us now. She is behind it and she's with us now. Joyce, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Scott. Well, listen, I, I didn't know about this and that's my fault, but I, I heard about this today. Um, Kate McCullough from The Spec wrote a piece about it. And I'll tell you, I, I thought it was fantastic because I, I don't know about you. I got into re- learning the news and l- reading the news by reading the sports sections in a newspaper. And then, you know, I would branch out and I'd eventually get into other sections. And I've heard that from an awful lot of other people. They started reading sports or they started reading entertainment or even the comics. But that's not happening today, obviously, as much. The world is changing. So for younger people, Gen Zs or even whatever the one behind that is, how are they getting their news now, if at all? Yeah, I mean, I think that largely young people are getting the news the same way we are, and that is through a lot of social media feeds. These news, social media posts, you know, uh, you know news is posted into Twitter, into uh, Instagram, and a lot of people are, a lot of young people scroll through, just like we all do, uh, scroll through. But, I mean, that's one of the reasons that we started teachingkidsnews.com, because we wanted to have a place uh, where kids could go that's safe, that would bring them the real news as if, uh, you know, the same news that would be written for adults, but a little bit more context, a lot more context, uh, with acronyms broken down, with concepts broken out. I mean, the the good news for you, Scott, <laughs> is that the kids that I talk to, and I talk to thousands of kids a year, they are really invested in knowing what's going on in the news. They want to know what's happening in their world and how it affects them. They really do. When we launched the site 11 years ago, we took a grade three class and we asked them, you know, in a blind vote, 
what are you interested in? We had all these topics, Justin Bieber's new haircut, uh, the new toy from whatever company, uh, the G20 summit that was coming to Toronto, the oil spill off the coast of Africa. And that's the stuff they gravita- gravitated to. It's just that people called it the G20 summit. Well, they don't know what that is. They've never heard of that. What we do is we say, you know, a lot of world leaders all from all over the world are coming to Toronto and they're going to be talking about how to make the world better and how to make their countries better. Are you interested in that story? Well, yes, they were definitely interested in that story. And far, far, far outweighed, um, you know, the the kids who wanted to learn about um, some of the things that we think kids maybe want to learn Mm. about. Well, and when you when you rely, and this is not just kids, believe me, when you rely on social media as your primary source of news, that is a crapshoot of best. I'm not saying there's no good news on social media. And I mean, I say good news. I don't just mean good news. I mean, like reliable news. But you, because of the algorithms and everything, you are kind of living in an echo chamber a lot of the time. You're not really getting a broad spectrum. You're getting what you have already chosen that you want to hear. Absolutely. You're you're absolutely living in an echo chamber. And if you like cats and you keep clicking on cat articles, you're going to get more cats. And somebody who picks up your computer is going to say, oh, the world is full of cats. Uh, you know, and <laughs> one of the things that I do when I go into schools is I teach that exact thing uh, to young people. And I teach them that there are silos that they're in. And uh, I have a great way of, of doing that. Um a few years ago when BTS was just starting to be popular, you know, um, all the kids would know it, but the adults wouldn't know it. And I would say, you know, I would show them, uh, show them a picture and I would say, who's this? And the kids would just scream. And the adults, all the teachers sitting around the room would look at each other. And then I'd show them a picture of Princess Diana. And I'd say, she was the most famous human in the world. And all the kids would look at each other and they would, and they have no idea. And then, but all the other people, uh, all the adults, of course, know who it is. So, I mean, we're absolutely living in silos. Get more of what you want. And I mean, the new algorithms for TikTok, you know, the longer you look at a TikTok, the more of that you'll get. So it's, but it's absolutely something that kids need to know. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Joyce, we're talking about the fact that you know, because of social media, because of friends, because of social groups, everything else, kids often, it seems, will have these silos where they have their, they sort of live in and they hear a lot of the same stuff, but they don't know everything else going on in the world. But, you know, the perception is kids have a very short attention span and, well, some of them anyway. So how do you then break them out of those silos and make them interested enough in the other things going on in the world that they want to pay attention? Well, that's a great question. So uh, one of the things, our site is called teachingkidsnews.com. And one of the things when we originally started, um, you know, 11 years ago, John Tilley was an educator, a fantastic educator who uh, developed the site with me. He said, let's not just give kids the news, but let's give teachers curriculum material as well. So what our site does is it pairs curriculum material with every article and gives links and kind of think and debate questions, you know, so that people, so that adults can use the site and the news articles to start talking to kids about the news. Because you're right, if kids just consume news in a, in a vacuum um, all by themselves, 
if you, if you don't know how to consume something, it's very difficult to uh, know what to what to look for. So we encourage teachers, and, and we've got thousands of teachers on the site every day. Uh, teachers use it in the classroom, and parents use it with their kids to discuss the news. And, and it's really important that they think uh, critically about what they're reading. We we encourage them to question our own article. You know. What do you think the author's bias is on this article? Um, what do you think they think about this political uh, agenda? Um, why do you think that? You know, it's it's also teaching them how to consume the news, I think. You're exactly right. What, one of the challenges I would think we would face, though, and, and I don't know the answer to this, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, is we we live at a time when through Netflix and YouTube and TikTok and all these other things, you can watch exactly what you want to watch or consume at any given moment. You don't have to be exposed to other things. You can change the channel so easily. So how do you convince a younger person that they want to? how How do you make them eat the asparagus that they don't know they want to eat? Well, you show how it affects their life. We didn't just... um say there's going to be a G20 summit and this is what's going to happen. We said that these leaders are going to make changes that affect your life. And um, the other nice thing about our website, you know, we used to have daily news that got really, really difficult after a few years uh, to keep going with. Um, so we have weekly news. And the nice thing is we can pick the big story of the week and sort of bring it to the full. It's kind of the low-hanging fruit, for one thing. But the other thing is, as I say, a lot of it is done in the classroom. So um, teachers have to cover media literacy in the classroom these days, uh, more so than ever. Uh, so, you know, they they are discussing these things with kids. So, it's, so you've kind of got a captive audience. But I'll tell you, Scott, and this might... Um, Bring you a bit of bring bring you a bit of peace about this issue. You wouldn't believe the number of kids I meet that come up to me afterwards and say, "I want to be a journalist. I want to know about the news. I want to know how it's gathered. I want to know how it's reported." Um, so there, there actually is. I see a really great side to this. I see the kids that are excited about the news and are excited about what's going on in the world. They might also be on TikTok or or whatever social media. But I, I do see it. I do see kids that are really excited about journalism. I do wonder, as I was reading this, remember, now you'll probably remember this. I remember back in the day uh, on Hockey Night in Canada, they had Peter Puck. And, and people of a certain era will remember Peter Puck. And it was kind of what you're doing. It was explaining the rules of hockey to kids who don't yet understand it in a way that made it very accessible. I'm wondering if like either radio, TV, newspapers, if they had a short the news for kids, a five-minute TV thing at the end of a, uh, the newscast for kids, if that would work or if that's just way too simple and they just want to be treated like everyone else? I kind of think they just want to be treated like everyone else. Um, kids are pretty sophisticated these days. They're exposed to a lot of things. If they want to get kind of cartoons and, and that kind of thing, there's lots of places where they can get that kind of entertainment, you know, news entertainment. Um, there are great sites that um, have kid reporters, and that's another way to bring them in as well. What we do at Teaching Kids News is we said we want the exact same news that I would write as a freelance journalist myself, that I would write for adults, but for kids. So 
you know, we encourage kids to get their news from lots of different sources, from yeah, adult sources yeah. as well, but, but also from these other sources, like you're saying. That is, uh, boy, that, that's not just for kids. That's a, such a brilliant piece of advice. Don't just read one thing or listen to one thing. Read a few, especially if it's a contentious story or something, like find more than one source. Anyway, uh, I wish I had a lot more time to talk about this. The website is called teachingkidsnews.com. Uh, I would really encourage people to go take a look at this. And then if you've got kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews or neighbors, direct them to this. It's a really interesting idea that can really, really help. Uh, Joyce Grant, really appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this today. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. It has been a long time. And so I don't know if uh, if he remembers how to do this because, I mean, heaven knows I'm barely figuring it out. Don Robertson, who is with us every Monday night from 7 till 8, joins us again after a long summer away. Donald, how are you? I'm uh, <clears throat> sitting on my back deck sweating. Well? I don't know why I'm not in the house. Don't question my mentality. It's been six weeks, so... <clears throat> Yeah, I, say, I'm fine, Scott. How are you? I'm sure you love the heat, so you'll be fine. My neighbor calls. I love this. I love sitting this. out, just enjoying it. You know, I love this, Dawn. And I, I, I said to someone yesterday, I think when we were talking about how it's supposed to be just crazy hot all week. Wait till November, and we're all because we're Canadian. We'll all be complaining about the cold. So you know what? We'll just enjoy this while we have it, and then when the cold comes, we can complain about that and or not complain about it. But you know. It's it's okay. Well, you it's know, good. I'll co- I'll complain about the I'll complain about the cold in January and February, and I'll complain about the uh, humidity in July and August. Us full figured guys suffer a little more in the humidity <laughs> than we do in the cold. Full, full figured, yes, that's uh, okay. Uh, that's that's a good terminology. Gonna, we'll go with that one. There's going to be well, I got a couple of them like that, as you might appreciate. <laughs> I've had to come up with over the years, but I'm pretty sure there's going to be a puddle under my seat when we're done here. But I chose to sit outside. I'm not nuts. I can't sit inside. So it's good. It's good. Everything is wonderful. And I've listened to you on your various uh, endeavors, filling in for Scott Thompson. You did a wonderful job. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's nice to see you back in your own spot, though. Well, thank you. And, you know, now that you can sit outside in the evenings because the Olympics are done, I'm assuming that over the last couple of weeks you were tuning in for some things here or there along the way. Well, I... Um, I do it annually. I, I, I'm sure I've said this before, but uh, it's been five years since I have uh, spent a lot of time watching uh, floor gymnastics and vaulting and uh, as much volleyball as I took in, uh, indoor and outdoor, um, and rowing and all the various events. And I will tell you, um, I quite enjoy them. I enjoy watching us now that um, our personal best don't place a 17th all the time. We've we win some medals. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> Sue's uh, mentioned this morning, she was looking at your uh, newspaper publication that you work for and was noting how many uh, gold medals the U.S. won. And I said, all right, let's do some quick arithmetic here. Um, they have 10 times the population, but that didn't uh, replicate into 10 times more gold medals than us and, to put it in perspective, I think we did a good job. Um, and I'm quite proud of our athletes. They, um, and the girls soccer speaks for itself. It's, um, that was amazing. I absolutely hate penalty shots to determine a championship 
but I've now decided and determined that I can live with them if we win. Yeah. See, I said the same thing before it started. I was, I was, you know, no, no use. We always have people complain about it after we lose because we usually lose when it comes to penalty shots or, you know, whatever hockey, soccer, doesn't matter what we, it's just, we're not good at them. And so usually it ends badly. But before this started, I said, I don't care whether we win or we lose. This is no way for a championship to be decided. And I know it was scorching hot and I know they were sweating like crazy. They were all looking like they've just jumped into a lake. But somehow with no game the next day or the rest of the week, this was their last game. Somehow I just still think they should play this thing out until somebody wins. But you know what? That's um, Someone said to me, that's my elitist North American sports sensibility coming through. And maybe it is. But I, I, I'm with you, Don. I hate that kind of way to solve anything in, in a championship. It, 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 and it's... <clears throat> You can argue whether it's the world championships or not, but it, you can certainly make that argument that it's it, it, it's certainly an elite championship, and in it's my bigger, mind, world bigger than world championship. Like, yeah, it's the Olympics, right? So, the interesting thing, Scott, though, when you look at when you look at the uh, the girls, and, and uh, congratulations to Sinclair. I mean, that's a that's a great Hollywood ending for her career. But when you look at you look at the conditions they played under. There may have only been three on each team. It may have been a three-on-three because three, the rest of them would have dropped out that had been just playing around them all. Like the humidity over there was cruel and unusual circumstances for many of the athletes to have to compete in. And they were saying that the water was even unbelievably hot for the swim events, which has kind of taken everything to a brand-new level and starting me to sit down and go, Maybe there is something to the global warming that we're talking about all the time because, boy, it's been, uh, it was really hot over there. But maybe but it it's always last year. But it's always hot over there in the summer times. This is the thing that somehow people seem to have missed is they, they say, oh, it was so hot in Tokyo. Well, what's the temperature normally in July in Tokyo? Well, that. I mean, it's always scorching hot. And it's, it, I mean, we're not much cooler here during the day today than they were over there. So it would have been the same thing. But I, I mean, I go back to the, the the shootout thing. I agree with you. It was scorching hot. It was cruel conditions. But I would even, and I don't like gimmicks, but I would even be okay if you said every 10 minutes we're taking two players off the pitch so that it goes from 11 on 11 to 9 on 9 and then 7 on 7. Somebody is going to score reasonably quickly if that was the case. And you could at least say, yeah, it was gimmicky, but it was soccer that was being played as opposed to shootouts. Uh, yeah, I guess so. But it's, it's still a crappy way to finish it. But that's the decision that was made. And they do it that way. Just because we don't do it in North America uh, doesn't mean anything. You know what? We're talking about soccer. And I'll tell you, something that was not particularly surprising, and one of the things that makes me a proud Canadian on uh, almost every day I wake up, <clears throat> there, are, there are times when I shake my head, but for the most part, I'm a pretty proud Canadian. And to watch those American ladies after Canada beat them, and to make comments like, I don't think Canada's ever beat us, and spend 20 minutes trying to uh, examine why they lost and giving from what I saw, absolutely no credit, no graciousness at all to the Canadian athletes tells me all I need to know about American sport. Boy, are they self-serving. I mean, they well, just don't get, they just don't get it. They really think their crap doesn't stink. And that annoys me. 
Boy, no, and and I, have, and I don't. I I'm not going to language. I forgot I'm back on a radio. <laughs> yeah, no, no, Don. I, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to go across the board with American athletes. I, I think that that particular team. Um, and look, go on Twitter. There were many, many, many people in the states who were cheering for the American women to lose that game because of their behaviors in the past. Whether it's their, you know, kneeling for the anthem, or you'll remember in the last Olympics or the last World Championships when they beat, I think, Thailand thirteen nothing. And it wasn't that they run up the score on a much weaker team. It was that when they score. You know, it happens. You're going to play teams that are imbalanced. You score, you put your head down, you run back to midfield, but you don't go sliding and kicking your legs and doing all these weird celebrations and everything to rub it in when it's 13 nothing. And so oh, yes. with this particular team, there were a lot of people thrilled that the Canadians finally beat them, and American people thrilled that the Canadians beat them. In sport, uh, you know, I mean, we do it with the Dundas Real McCoys. I mean, if uh, I mean, we enjoy scoring goals, but if we're up five one and score another one, I always tell the guys, and I tell them all, no matter what goal it is, pretend like you've done this before, and this is what we're supposed to do. Like you don't rub it in, because karma is karma is a bitch, and it'll come back and bite you. And uh, when they're when the past president of the United States comes out and rips them a new one, then and he got seventy million people to vote for him. And uh, so you're right. It wasn't, they weren't the most popular team uh, from the States. Um, By the way, on the, uh, I want to go back to the free kicks for just one second, because I've had an idea for a long time that since soccer doesn't want to change the idea of free kicks, uh, I've believed for a long time that there is one way to solve this, at least to make it more fair. And I know this would not be a popular move right now because Sweden was dominating that game and Canada couldn't get the ball over midfield and held on. But if we go back to when TFC played Seattle in the championship a few years ago and Seattle did not have a single shot on net in the entire game, they made no effort to try and score. They just defended. At that time, I said, and I have to stick with it now for consistency, I think when they get to penalty kicks, you should get one penalty kick chance for every shot on net you've had during the game reward the team that wants to try and push the ball up the field and wants to try and create offense and wants to try and make it a game as opposed to just the team that sags 11 people back and says, well, you're not going to score on us. We're not going to score on you, but you're not going to score on us. And you may end up with 25 shots in a penalty kick to one. Well, that means during the game, you should have tried harder to try and create some offense. Wow. that's uh, I like that. I like that. And I want to give Toronto FC another championship because they didn't give up a shot on goal. And, uh, well, perhaps not. So, okay, so good for you for being a deep thinker, far far deeper than I am. And uh, so what do you do if Toronto had five shots on net and don't score a goal? Give well, good five? for that. Then you go, but then you go into the, the sudden death like you have all along. So Seattle's goalie would have had to stop five penalty kicks, and then it would have been... One 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 until someone gets one and someone doesn't. But as I say, the the the, the challenge okay, so, I have so you give, with you give Toronto five before Seattle get any, right? And Seattle may not get one. one. If Toronto yeah, scores yeah, one, Toronto score one, they win. Right. Uh, obviously, obviously, when they score one, it's over. So if they score in the first one, it's over. If they score in the fifth one, it's over. No matter what it is. Somehow it seems somehow if you're going to go to a skills competition to decide a game. And I know this is, again, unpopular because Canada won and they were the team that was hanging on. But if you're going to go to a skills competition, 
somehow and not play out the game, somehow the team that dominated should have some advantage. Um, you know, and if we want to get into penalty kick rules or penalty shot rules, you know, I've never understood how it is that a team could be shorthanded in a hockey game when the game ends in overtime and they go to penalty shots and there's no penalty against the team that was shorthanded when the game ended. Like if you've got a guy in the penalty box, seems to me you should lose your first shot in the penalty shots because you've got a penalty. But anyway. Okay. So, so let me ask you, let me ask you this, because you've obviously had a lot of time to think about this far more than I've uh, invested. <laughs> what if uh, there was two seconds left in the penalty and they clearly had not scored. There was two seconds left or you were two seconds into the penalty. Same consequence. Well, do we not have rules already in many leagues that say, depending when a suspension, like in hockey, if you get a suspension in the last, what is it, five minutes of a game, if you, if you get kicked out of a game and uh, it's early on, that usually counts as the game that you've missed in a game misconduct, but you will be, if you do it in the last five minutes, if you jump into a fight after the final whistle or something, there are stricter rules that carry on into the next game. So yeah, you could say no, if there's... If there's less than 30 seconds remaining, you've served the penalty. But if you are into the first minute of a penalty and the game ends, you still are shorthanded or something. I don't know how you do it, but there's, there's ways. Well, you've got time figured out. I like a lot of what you're saying. I like the Seattle scenario with the Toronto FC. I, but I I told you, I don't like it unless we win and we won gold. And that was good enough for me. So we can be, yeah. So we can be happy with penalty kicks for now. And then I next just, time yeah. it happens, we can be and remember Wayne Gretzky sitting on the bench in Nagano, and then we can be uh, we can be sour about penalty shots yeah. again when we lose, which is unfortunately how what usually is the ending. I mean, I Don, I we got to run, but I absolutely one thousand percent expected to lose that, not because I didn't have faith in Canada's women, because we've just been down this road so many times with shootouts that don't go our way. It just it rarely yeah. seems to go our way. Let me ask you this. I know, I know we got to go. So uh, the Sweden, uh, the Swedish girls are crying, and uh, Susan's watching the game, and uh, she feels so bad for Sweden. And I chirp in and say, "You don't win silver, you lose gold." And for some reason or another, I'm a bit of a hard butt. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? I don't. I don't think you win silver, you lose gold. Well, so being too harsh. I would say that that there are different scenarios for that in a game that is a gold medal game where there are only two teams on the field and the gold medal is at stake. I would agree with you. You've, you did not win gold, you lost. So you get silver, but if it's in the hundred meters and you've got an entire field of people, I would say you won silver, but there's a different, you know, there's different ways of looking at it because, you know, I don't think that Andre DeGrasse lost to, lost the gold. Usain Bolt won the gold last time. I'm talking about last time in the Olympics in Rio. Yes, um, Usain Bolt was clearly the best guy on the track, but I don't believe that made Andre DeGrasse a guy who lost. He just, I mean, he lost the race, but he, you know what I'm saying? I, but yes, in the soccer, when there's only two teams and one is getting the gold, yes, you do win gold or don't win and get silver, which by definition means see, you lost to get silver. See, that's why you write columns and I don't. I kind of run off the cuff. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Bring Don Robertson back in, though. Owner, but I didn't introduce him at the beginning, I don't think. Owner and operator of the Dundas Real McCoys and Comchoice Realty and uh, 
man about Dundas. If you're in Dundas, you probably know Don. Let's put it that way. Uh, and Don, we were talking just before the break about a number of things with the Olympics, but about the women's soccer. And it's a really interesting situation now because after the women's soccer team won and it was a fantastic thing and everyone felt great and it was a you know just a terrific national canadian sports moment but one of the comments not well one of the comments said by many many people including many players and former players and viewers and elsewhere is you know what we need to have a pro league for women in this country that women don't have a pro soccer league to play in and you know, I, I hear that, and as much as that's a lovely idea, every time I hear that, my thought always is, so where's the money coming from? And help me out here, because I, I, I love the idea of women having a pro league, but we've seen the Canadian Women's Hockey League didn't last, and other leagues have not lasted, and the problem seems to be that fans don't come out for whatever reason, and I'm not picking and choosing why they aren't. Fans just don't see, they'll, they'll come out for a national game, an international game for the Olympics, but you have a day-to-day women's league in various sports and they it just doesn't get support. How can you possibly run a league if you don't have fan support? Well, you can't. And I want to be careful how I dive into this, but um, you bring up an interesting port, point. If, if there isn't demand for the product in business. And if you're going to start, and I agree, I mean, I don't, I don't see any reason why there isn't a women's pro soccer league, but it's not certainly not something I would invest my money in as a business model. If I didn't think it could be self-sustaining or almost self-sustaining because the Dundas real McCoys aren't self-sustaining. I personally subsidize that operation, but that's a choice I make. That's at a different level than flying people from Hamilton to Calgary to Edmonton. You know, a woman's uh, pro hockey or hockey league and or soccer league has to be built on a sound business platform. And you're right. If there's not a demand in business, then people, I mean, somebody can come up with the greatest widget in the world, but if there's no demand for it, or you only ever have to buy one and never have to buy another one. and, And once you've gone through that cycle, that business will fail because everybody that needs one has one and you're not creating any more uses for it. So if there is no demand, like, like there it's, it's been a struggle for women's hockey and, you know, we've all read um, that the success of uh, women's pro league regarding hockey, which is more relevant to us up here in Canada uh, without the National Hockey League support, like the NBA support, the WNBA. And so unless somebody's prepared to underwrite the losses, it it may not survive. And if you look at soccer, then I don't know what business group, unless you get a bunch of very successful business owners whose daughters enjoy the game and are prepared to subsidize it, that it works efficiently and if there's no if there's no plan or no apparent um, path to be able to put enough people in the building and obtain enough advertisers to make it self-sustaining, nobody's going to jump into that. Nobody's going to jump into that pool and say, "Why don't we just lose a few million dollars because it's the right thing to do?" And that is always the challenge. 
uh, at the CFL, and we've seen it ebb and flow on many occasions, especially right here in Hamilton, where people get tired of owning the team. I have said on many occasions, I think, and I don't, I've never looked at the books of the Hamilton Ticats, but I can tell you, I think we're very blessed to have Bob Young, who's prepared to be the caretaker of the Hamilton Ticats, uh, because the guys that tried to run it as a business to make money all walked away from it. Yeah, and again, like this is not a this is in by no means a dumping on women's soccer. It's not that at all. This seems like it would be the moment when the iron would be hottest that you could strike it and create something. But I just, if you're a, a person putting the money into this, we know that in the states back in 1990, 91, 92, they, when the U.S. women won the World Cup in Los Angeles, remember Brandy Chastain ripping her shirt off with the yeah. sports bra and then like famous moment, huge moment, full house, a hundred thousand people watching that game, and they said women's soccer was never going to be at a higher point, and they got something like a hundred million dollars invested in a league, and it was dead within a few years because I don't know why. But fans just don't. Now, uh, some people will say, well, there's not the coverage of women's sports. And if there was more coverage, it would be more interesting and more people would come out. If you're a businessman, though, or a businesswoman, are you, it's the chicken and the egg. Okay, maybe there will be more coverage and it'll grow if we create a league. But are you going to be the one to put your millions and millions of dollars into that and hope and pray that's the way it works? I, I don't know where the money Scott, comes what, from. One of the big arguments... Uh, in the past, probably in the 90s. Um, uh, you're right. I mean, that was a kind of a famous scene. I don't, uh, uh, I, I don't think there's many that didn't recall it in that era. But the point is, I mean, we were, uh, let me use this analogy, because I like using my own. In 1987, when the Brantford Monster Models won the Allen Cup, we had 11 former NHLers and regularly would put 1,500 people in the building. That was pre-TSN uh, being dominant, no sports net. And everybody always used to say that women's sports couldn't, couldn't get a dominant position because there wasn't enough uh, avenues for it to be on TV and populize it, make it more popular than it is before. TSN and Sportsnet in Canada both have multiple platforms. You can now actually live stream sporting events through YouTube and Facebook and generate a fan base. So the old adage that there's no real real vehicle to make these new sports or new leagues popular and available is quite frankly not true. Uh, and the basketball league, I think the one the Badgers play in, has a TV contract. And so there's multiple platforms to make this happen. And the old way of saying, well, we can't get the exposure we need is, is kind of unfair now. So it just comes down to popularity. I'm going to tell you, I, 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 as I mentioned when we started, I watched my full share of uh, gymnastics, floor gymnastics, vaulting. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, there wasn't many... I'm going to stay at home and watch these sports, but I would watch them in the morning. Uh, drove me crazy that Mackenzie Hughes and, and Connor and Connors would uh, play in the golf, and, and uh, one of the sports channels had it on, and they didn't even focus on them. I thought it was a PGA tournament. Yet all the other sports that were on those channels 
only focused on the Canadian ones. But, you know, it, you can focus on that stuff now. And if there's not a demand and nobody cares, it, it won't work. Then there's lots of platforms now. So I don't know it's, how it it's, works. The, the, the challenge would be is that um, you have to have people in the seats. I mean, we've seen it with the CFL. You see it with the CPL. And so, I mean, I even heard someone suggest that, the, you know, the, the, uh, the Forge, the, the CPL team here in Hamilton. I even heard someone suggest all the CPL teams should start a women's pro team and have a women's pro league that runs parallel. That might be a terrific idea or that might kill both leagues because now you're taking the soccer fans and spreading them out thinner and you're not being able to build the audience for the first one. And so I don't, I, I don't know what you do with this, but I, the, the, well, the position that is being taken online by a lot of people saying, just start this women's pro league. It's, it's time. It's, it's more complicated than that. Well, first of all, the people that come up with those ideas uh, want somebody else to fund it. And that's, that's fundamentally the issue. When I, I, I lost my thought process, if you can believe it, I've been a bit rookie at this now. But when I said I watched you know, uh, some indoor volleyball and I watched floor gymnastics, that, that and I enjoyed Pardon me, I enjoyed it. But that has never, ever <clears throat> motivated me to go to Mac and watch it. <clears throat> Pardon me. I mean, there, there's... Uh, all kinds of outstanding floor gymnastics, volleyball, back of one Canadian championships, but it's never been enough to get me off my butt and drive down to Mac and watch a game. I'll watch it during the Olympics because it's a premier sport and all the best athletes in the world are doing it and they put it on my TV right in front of me and it's the Olympics and I do it. But it never, ever drives attendance. Mm. Like Canada won women's soccer. And if they started playing some exhibition games in Hamilton next year, our national team, you know, because we're coattailing on the gold medal, it might work three years. It would do very now, well. No, we know, we know, we yeah. know Don, because a couple of years ago before the world cup, before the, before the women's world championship, they had a exhibition game, a pre-tournament game between Canada and England, and it was sold out. And so we know that for those kind of things, it would work, but then a different sport, but uh, when the Canadian Women's Hockey League was still going, they had a game at uh, Morgan Firestone Arena in Ancaster, and it was between Markham, and I can't even remember who the other team was, and there were four or five at least members of the national women's team that played in the Olympics, that played in the World Championships, that are household names, that were involved in this game, and they couldn't fill Morgan Firestone Arena, and there were a lot of seats left open. It wasn't, like, close. It was a lot of seats left open. And I'm thinking to myself, how... And there was lots of coverage beforehand telling people about it. How how do you expect... How, how is it possible that someone's going to put up the huge money to make this work and pay these great salaries that they deserve because they're great athletes? But how are you going to do this if the fan base doesn't seem to want to respond? And I don't know how you make right. a fan base respond, and you can't guilt them into it. They have to want to go. Oh, no. You have to give them the opportunity to know it's there. And they, you're right. They have to want to go. And if, that, if nobody sees that as a good business model, like I said, or unless a whole bunch of rich guys whose kids played in that team want to own franchises and subsidize it until their kids can't play anymore, there's no pathway for a good business model. Because without people, nothing happens. Like if, 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 um, 
all of a sudden, nobody, de- everybody decided they didn't want to watch the Dundas Real McCoys play hockey anymore. And I told our board of uh, directors this for over 20 years. When people don't care, we'll stop. As long as the right people care and enough of them care, we'll forge along. But if nobody cares, then we shouldn't run this anymore. And that's I've said it for years, and I'll carry on to say it. When nobody cares, you can't do it. But when you start paying and you want to pay these ladies what they deserve and and you can't get the response, there's no evidence apparently that a women's soccer pro league would be successful or there would be one. Now, in Canada, that might change a little bit. But you cited the example where they put $100 million after the L.A. games when U.S. wore one gold and it didn't work boy that tells me it's a tough sell now it's it's a long when when was that that was well 20 more than 20 years ago 30 years ago now 30 years so maybe times have changed maybe maybe times have changed but uh, we got to run we got to run but my my point is this go to a go to a basketball game or a volleyball game at mcmaster and if there is the enormous demand that we keep hearing is out there and the enormous interest why are there so few people in the stands and if they're when, when opportunities do present uh, and don i look i all the people on social media who are saying you know this is not fair we got to have a women's league or a women's team uh, look i'm i'm with you that would be fantastic so what where are what are you doing to make that look like a realistic possibility that that's my question to, to the to the people who send that stuff out. What what are you doing? How many tickets are you buying when a game comes here to show that, you know, yeah, it would be lovely, it would be lovely to have that. But what are you doing to support that or to make that happen? And the answer, unfortunately, too often is nothing. Now, maybe as I say, maybe thirty years down the road from that last one with extra coverage and Canada winning, maybe maybe we're at that moment now where it's ready to happen and it could be a really successful thing. That would be lovely. I hope it could. I'm just. Here's where people. I'm not here's sure. Where people, Scott. Here's where people, Scott, on on social media, Twitter, and everything else, which is social media. Uh, here's what they can do. Rather than just chirp off about saying we need this, what they should do is start a campaign to say in Hamilton, and I'm challenging people in Toronto and Montreal, various uh, cities across Canada. What we're going to do is we're going to we're going to try and get. 2,000 people to buy season tickets, and we're going to prove to you this is a good idea. You know who will do that? You need a lot more than 2,000. You need a lot more than 2,000, but your point is well taken. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don, we're talking about money last segment. Let's change tack just a little, but still talk about money because three Hamiltonians last week, I got to tell you, um, scored. I mean, hit hit the jackpot, three of them. Darnell Nurse. Um, contract for $74 million for the next eight years to play for the Edmonton Oilers. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, basketball player with the Oklahoma City Thunder, signed a contract for $172 million for the next five years. And John Levy, who owns the SCORE network, uh, he and his company sold for $2 billion. Leaving the money, the total aside, leaving the the just the volume of money, because all of them are huge. Which one caught you off guard the most as far as going, holy cow, I didn't know there was that much money out there. Um, Nurse was going to make a fortune no matter what. John Levy is a a friend of mine and was sponsoring Mackenzie Hughes, which I was involved in. 
is a great Hamiltonian and um, uh, contributes to his community. I have a lot of time for John, so it's personal for me. I'm happy for that. I don't know the business side of uh, Scorbet, but I'd say that's pretty much a home run. And the basketball player, for any basketball player that was raised in Hamilton or Canada to hit a home run for that kind of catch is unbelievable. So I would say that would be uh, Levy smart. So that doesn't surprise me. Nurse is good. Uh, but for a basketball player from Canada to make that kind of cash, I think it's a great thing. It is. Yeah. And here's the thing. I know there are people listening right now who are saying that's obscene Uh, and fine for all of those totals. That's fine. But here's my point, especially if you're an athlete, uh, Levy's a businessman and he's a very astute businessman, but if you're an athlete and there is somebody out there who is willing to sign a check for you for 75 million or a quarter billion dollars, if you put it into Canadian money, almost for Shea Gilgis Alexander. If you can find someone willing to hand you a check, I'm not jealous. I'm not angry. Good for you for figuring that one out and finding that person who wants to give you that money. I mean, it is an outrageous amount of money. There's no question, but no one's put a gun to those people's heads to hand them that check. Well, they, they give it all begrudgingly because they know it's obscene, but that's the way the market is, right? I mean, uh, I'm not going to sell your house for free. You don't expect it to be free. And if I get you $150,000 more than we asked for your house, which we thought was a reasonable rate, you don't really mind paying me until you see the bill and you went, boy, that's a lot of money for what he did. You know what I mean? You're kind of happy, but begrudgingly you pay it because, well, that's what I got to do. And the guy did a great job for me. And that's what basketball players do. I had a conversation with a general manager of a National Hockey League team. And I proposed to him that if they didn't pay their guys uh, millions of dollars to play hockey, that for the most part, they could fill the roster with guys that would play for $25,000 a year just so they could play in that league. And most of the guys that play in the league would have said, I'm in. But the fact that you'll pay, you need to pay me, or my agent says, or the market says, I should get paid $4 million a year. That's what you play for. So you have to, you know, you have to pay them what the market says as obscene as that market is. Yeah. And and the other thing to remember about this whole thing is, uh, I guess, is that, um, again, the money is crazy, but the owners are not going to hand those checks over to just lose money. So they're still making money, even though they're giving out that just, it says something about how much money there is in so many of these big time sports. I, I, I heard somewhere, I don't know where it was the other day that, uh, the NFL just from the TV deal alone, before they sell a ticket, before they sell a beer, before they sell a hat or a t-shirt or a jersey, each team makes something like $320 million off the TV deal, which is double well, what wait. the salary cap is basically. So you, you've you've made $100 million profit if you're an owner before you sold a single ticket. You're doing okay. I, uh, I ask a, a very good friend of John Bidoff's uh, when, they, when, when he led the charge with Alan Sch- slate to bring the nba to uh, toronto and i said to him these numbers don't make any sense and he looked at me because you know very tight with bit off he said all their expenses are paid and they're in a profit position 
before they open up based on TV. No, they have to retire the the debt to buy the franchise, but beer and popcorn is going to do that. And I went, mm. wow, no, mon- no wonder so many of these guys want these things. No kidding, no kidding. Well, and you know, the Dundas Real McCoy is very similar. So uh, for people who want to know, <laughs> almost we got to run. Unfortunately, yeah, almost identical. We got to run. We'll do this again next Monday. Don, thanks for doing this. Thanks, Scott. Have a good night. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.